Well, good morning again. Uh, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to John chapter 15, verses 12 through 13. That'll be our sermon text for this morning. And I uh, haven't said this in a while, but if you, uh, if you don't have a Bible or don't own a Bible, there are Bibles on the table just outside the door. And uh, you're welcome not only to use that during the service, but if, uh, if you don't own one, you're welcome to grab one of those, write your name in the front cover, take it home with you, uh, keep it, read it, bring it back week after week as we study God's Word together. Before we read John 15, 12 to 13, let's pray together. Our Father, we, we come to you, we come to your Word, we come to hear from you, uh, we come to receive from you, and we pray that you would... Uh, teach us. Uh, teach us from your word. Teach us by your spirit. Give us wisdom and insight, uh, not, not only into the, the text, but into uh, your truth and our lives and how, how we should now live in light of what you have said in your word and done in your son Jesus. And um, pour out your spirit on us now to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John fifteen twelve to 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What does it look like when someone loves you, really loves you? Uh, maybe there is someone who, for you, set the standard for love, right? Someone uh, who defines for you what love looks like. Uh, maybe it was your mom, right, in her selfless caring. She spent years serving you, providing for you, watching over you. Maybe it's a brother or sister uh, who stuck by you even when things were bad, who listens to you when you need to unload, who knows you better than anyone. Maybe it's a friend who really enjoys you. Right, someone who, who just loves being around you. You play together, you laugh together. You know this person do, doesn't just accept you, right? He or she delights just to be with you. Well, this week we're going to talk about uh, love and sacrifice. And uh, you can see in your bulletin, on the, the back of the bulletin, there's a, a brief outline if you want to follow along there. Our three points are going to be the greatest commandment the greatest lover and the greatest love. Uh, the greatest commandment, the greatest lover, and the greatest love. Uh, first, we'll talk about the greatest commandment. Uh, John 15, uh, 12 to 13. I'm going to keep reading it again and again uh, because it's so short. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is my commandment, that you love one another. What is love? And I wanted to get you warmed up with an easy question, right? <laughs> what is love? Uh, human beings were created to be loved and to love. Uh, and that love has uh, at least three aspects to it, right? To love someone is, is to know them to delight in them, to serve them. Uh, to love something is, is really about ascribing value to that thing, right? Uh, what, is, what is worth knowing? What, what, what gives you joy? What, uh, to what do you dedicate your life? 
you see all of these things when, when you see someone who is in love, right? We talk about being in love. And, uh, you know, you, you fall in love, and the most obvious thing is you really enjoy this other person. Uh, they make you feel a certain way. Uh, but one of the first things you do is try to get to know everything about that person that you can, right? You want to know their likes, their dislikes, their history, their hobbies. You want to know everything. doesn't matter. No detail is too small because you love this person. Then you begin to find ways to serve them, right? To, to, to give them little gifts or to hold the door for them or whatever you can do to care for their needs, large or small. Today, when people think about love, we tend to focus on just one aspect. We tend to focus on delight, right? Uh, like we love ice cream and we love the latest Avengers movie and we love the weather outside, especially compared to last week, right? Um, but this understanding of love leaves out the key component of service. You know, when I say I love ice cream, which I often say, uh, that doesn't mean that I'm looking out for the good of ice cream. Right? There's, no, there's no self-sacrifice in that love. Self-indulgence maybe, but not self-sacrifice. When scripture talks about love, it means more than the love of ice cream. Uh, it includes delight. That, that's one part of love. Uh, 1 John 2, 15 to 16 says that to love the world is to desire it, to delight in it. Um, in the Bible, love includes knowledge as well. Uh, Amos 3, verse 2, God says to Israel, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. It's kind of an odd saying, actually, because God knows all the families of the earth. But what, what God means is Israel he knew in an intimate, special, loving way. There's this special kind of knowledge that God had of his people. But when scripture speaks of love, it focuses not on the knowledge or on the delight, but on this third aspect of service. 1 John 3, 16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 1 John 4, 10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, what defines love for us is the self-sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus gave of himself for our good. He gave himself for us. And this is love, right? This is love, to give of yourself for the good of another. The height of love, right, is to, to, to know and delight in someone to such an extent that that knowledge and delight leads to self-sacrifice, it leads to you giving of yourself for the other person. You care for this person, and so you give of yourself to this person. God knew his people. Right? Scripture says God foreknew his people. Again, this can't just mean that he knew them ahead of time, uh, because God knows all things ahead of time. But he knew them in some special, intimate way. He loved them. He knew them. He delighted in them. And, they, and so he sent Jesus to give his life for them. Knowledge, delight, and service. Now, uh, one time I was talking with someone uh, about this, and they asked, well, where does commitment fit in? And uh, I thought, well, that's a good question. I never thought about that. And, uh, and, and I, didn't, I didn't know the answer until I thought about it a bit. And, of course, Scripture sometimes modifies the noun love, doesn't it, uh, with the adjective steadfast. Right? It talks about steadfast love. Um, not all love is steadfast, right? Not all love is committed. Sometimes love is fickle. Uh, of course, God's love is not fickle. 
but steadfast, committed, devoted love. And so Jesus' command is to love um, in this steadfast kind of way. Our love should be the same as God has loved us. To know, delight in, and above all, to serve others. Uh, then the question comes, uh, okay, we're to love. Jesus says, uh, a new commandment I give to you, that you love. Uh, who are we to love? Uh, in the context, Jesus says, love one another. This is my commandment, that you love one another. And, uh, there's, and he also says in verse, the next verse, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. And so we are to love our friends, right? We're to love one another, love our friends. And here in John, uh, Jesus is saying farewell to the church, to his friends. Uh, he is about to lay down his life for his friends. And he is leaving them an example to do the same. As their lives are conformed to his, right, the church will be marked by mutual love for one another. But of course, everything that we say about love applies to every aspect of the love command. Uh, you may remember that Jesus talks about love quite a bit in the Gospels. Uh, love for God, Jesus says, is the first and greatest commandment. Uh, love for neighbor, Jesus says, is like it. Uh, love for your enemies, Jesus says, surpasses love for friends. Matthew 5, 44 to 47, Jesus says, uh, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Why is that love greater? Right? Why, is, why is love for enemies greater than love for friends? Well, because it lacks self-interest. Uh, I get nothing out of loving my enemies. When I love my friends, it's reciprocated, right? There's a back and forth. When I love my neighbors, I get the benefit maybe of the social good of neighborliness. Uh, if I love my neighbors, they, they might love me back. And, uh, but when I love my enemy, my love is likely to go unnoticed, maybe even mocked. Jesus commends this kind of love, love that expects nothing in return. Uh, he commends it in, in Luke 14. When he says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so whom are we to love? Uh, we're to love God a neighbor, the church, our enemies, and anyone else, right, who cannot repay us. And yet Jesus here in John 15 highlights our love for one another as the church. Uh, Jesus says, uh, this is my commandment, that you love one another. Um, we're to have a special love for God's people. Uh, why? Well, uh, look around you, right? Why, why love this rabble, <laughs> right? Why love this, this group of people? Not because they're better than other people. Uh, not because they are more praiseworthy. Uh, Paul says, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, the weak to shame the strong. No, we love the church really for two reasons. One is because this is our family. Uh, we are brothers and sisters, whether we like it or not, as, we, as is often the case with brothers and sisters. <laughs> you don't choose your family, right? But you love them nonetheless. Nonetheless. 
Uh, two, we love the church because God loves the church. Which, of course, brings us to our next point about the greatest lover. But before we get there, uh, I do want to uh, address one misunderstanding about love. Uh, you know, sometimes people contrast love and law, uh, or even love and obedience, um, as if Jesus, when he gave his love commands, was dismissing the very category of law from the Christian life, right? Saying, well, you should just love. Don't, don't worry about obeying anything. Don't worry about the law. Just, just love. But of course, that's not the case. And it's obvious here, for, for, for one thing, because love is a command. Love is a command. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another. And yet we shouldn't pit this commandment against the rest of the Bible's commandments. Uh, Jesus and Paul both tell us that love is the sum of the law. Right? The whole law is summed up in the command to love. And so you might say that particular laws in the Bible are particular ways in which we love. Right? Uh, think about the Ten Commandments. Uh, we love God by not having any gods before him. Uh, we love God by not manipulating him with idols or by not misusing his name or by setting aside our work to celebrate his work uh, on the Sabbath day. Uh, we love our neighbors by honoring them, by not murdering them. That's a good way to love your neighbor, right? Uh, by not committing adultery or stealing, by not spreading rumors or gossip and so on. And so the Ten Commandments in particular are really a roadmap for how to love well. The Ten Commandments are the law of love. If you want to love people, here's how to do it. So we never uh, pit Scripture's law against the love that we are to have for one another. If there seems to be a conflict, right, don't dismiss that. Uh, keep wrestling and digging until you see how love is really the fulfillment of God's law. So the greatest commandment, the commandment to love, uh, the greatest lover, point two. Uh, in some ways, I've already talked about this, right, because you can't really talk about love without talking about God's love. Uh, but there's a lot more to be said. Uh, John 15, again, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, just unpacking the word love begins to set a pretty high standard for us. It only gets higher, though, the more you think about it. Love is not easy. Love is difficult. Love is hard work. In fact, love is impossible unless we first understand and are transformed by God's love for us in the gospel. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. So how did Jesus love us? How did Jesus love you? Uh, well, go back to our definition of love again, right? We said love is knowing, delighting in, serving. Um, we said love is about value, right? Uh, what we love shows what we truly value. When God set his love on us, by doing so, he valued us. Um, do you know that God values you? It's kind of an odd thing to say, maybe, that God values you. But Jesus said it, so I feel safe in saying it, right? Uh, Jesus said, you are of more value than many sparrows. Right? Your father values you. Uh, what was the price at which he valued us? Well, it was the price of his own son, right? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That was the price the Father put on us, the value that he placed upon us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so God has valued us at the cost of the life of his son. 
God, Father, and Son enjoyed unbroken fellowship from all eternity. The Son took on human skin, and as the God-man, continued to live in fellowship with His Father. But then He went to the cross, and for the first time, the Son experienced the Father's anger, His wrath, the full weight of the Father's curse for sin. The Father turned His back on His Son on the cross, allowing Him to feel the penalty that our sins deserved. God valued us at the cost of the life of His Son. And Jesus valued us more than his own life. What this means is whatever your self-worth may be or may not be, your worth to the Father is infinite. Your Father values you. He loves you. He knows you. He enjoys you. He gave his Son for you. God gave his Son not when we were his children, not when we were his friends, not when we were his neighbors. God gave his Son for us while we were his enemies. Romans 5 says, For while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. See, God loved us while we were his enemies. God truly is the greatest Lover, right? There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for your friends. Well, Jesus laid down his life for his friends and his neighbors and his enemies. Do you know the extent of God's love? Have you ever thought that there was a limit to God's love? That at some point God's love would run out? Uh, That you will have exhausted his patience? Or that you will have outworn your welcome? Or that God's love for you is, is as fickle as your love for your friends? I assure you, it is not. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God's love for sinners is inexhaustible. All who look to the Son and believe in Him will not perish. No matter how weak, no matter how sinful, no matter how fumbling and faltering, we will not perish but will have eternal life, life to its fullest, life never-ending. The greatest command is the command to love. The only man who has ever fully fulfilled that command is Jesus, the greatest lover, who learned it from his dad. Only once you get this can you begin to really love. Uh, Only once you know God's secure love for you in Jesus can you begin to love in a disinterested way, expecting or needing nothing in return. Your father already loves you. Loving others won't earn it, won't change that. He, he won't love you any less. He can't love you any more. Your father loves you and is looking out for you. You're, you're free then to look out for others. He's got your back. You can look out for others and know that he's going to care for you. Your father loves you and has given you his spirit, the spirit of his son Jesus, and, and put that spirit in you, empowering you to walk as Jesus walked and so to love as Jesus loved. Which brings us to then our last point. The greatest command is to love. The greatest lover is uh, God the Father and His Son Jesus. The greatest love. John 15, 12 to 13, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Again, think about this command and ask, I want you to ask yourselves, uh, what does it look like to love as Jesus loved? What does that actually mean? Now, when when Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, 
the, the, the point there, at least according to one commentator, is in the uniqueness of Jesus' love in the community of love, the church, right? Uh, he, his love is the greatest. He laid down his life for our sins. But it is this love that we are called to imitate, even as I have loved you. And so our love is to be modeled off of his. Think about uh, 1 John 3.16, right? Uh, Jesus' commandment is, is love as I have loved you. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Or put differently, Jesus said, we are to take up our cross and follow him, uh, which does not mean simply face trials. Sometimes we think about taking up our cross as facing trials, uh, but, it, but it means to love sacrificially. I mean, that is, after all, why Jesus took up his cross. He took up his cross to love us. And so I want to ask the question, what does it look like for you to love sacrificially? What does that mean? Um, and I think if we're going to understand this question, there's one sort of big principle that we need to see. One, one uh, theme that comes up again and again as the scriptures talk about God's love for us. It's, it's here in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. It's in uh, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's in 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. It's in uh, 1 John 4.10. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, the, the essence of sacrificial love is giving of yourself for the good of another. I mean, it's really fairly simple and straightforward, right? Giving of yourself for the good of someone else. When you give of yourself so that others benefit, that is love. Uh, when the crossing guard stands at the street corner and gives of her time so that kids can cross safely, that's, that's love. Uh, when the artist paints something beautiful or profound so that others can appreciate the beauty and profundity of life, that is a kind of love. Uh, when the researcher spends hours in the lab poring over data to better understand the human body in ways that may one day lead to a cure for cancer, that, that is love. Uh, when a mom spends hours with her infant getting up at 3 a.m. Uh, to, to feed and change diapers in what seems like a never-ending cycle, uh, that is love. Anytime someone gives of themselves for the good of another, that is love. And, and you may be wondering, okay, Luke, great, but, but what about the really sacrificial stuff, right? Like being a missionary or working at a soup kitchen or something like that. Uh, well, uh, first of all, being a mom is part of the really sacrificial stuff, but but sure, that other stuff is love too. Um, and to be sure, the greater love is when you expect nothing in return. That's what uh, Jesus says. When you do the job pro bono, right? Or give of your time or talents or treasure for free to someone who couldn't afford it otherwise. Uh, there is a greater sacrifice and so a greater act of love. But in every case, the, the fundamental elements of love are actually the same. Uh, you give of yourself for the good of another. Um, the reason this definition is so important is because it actually it guides you as to how you can give. Um, I can't give what you can give. I can only give of myself, and you can only give of yourself. Now, of course, Scripture says, what do you or I have that we have not received? And the answer is nothing. Everything that we have, we have received from God. Everything is a gift. Which means to give of myself is another way of saying give of what God has first given to me. 
This is the way Peter put it in uh, 1 Peter uh, 4, 10, and 11. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And so here's the question for each one of us, right? What, what do you have? And I, and I don't just mean your stuff, right? I mean you, your person, your gifts, your talents, your time, and your stuff, right? Whatever God has given you. What do you have that is a gift from God? And then how can you give of yourself for the good of others? Um, and I don't mean for you to agonize over that question, right? I, I mean actually for you to be free to give of who you are, to give of what you have been given for the good of those around you, meaning you don't have to be Billy Graham or Mother Teresa to give of yourself right where you are. Right? You just give of what God has given to you. You love those around you by giving of yourself for the good of others. And just look around, right? Look around you. What do, what do people need? What do people need in your workplace? What do people need in your classrooms? What do people need uh, in your neighborhood? What needs do you see around you? How can you give of yourself to supply that need? That's love. Um, Emily uh, once mentioned a friend of hers who was creating fonts for Wycliffe. And for some reason, this, this always sticks in my mind. Uh, because there are people groups, right, whose languages can't be communicated in Times New Roman. And uh, if they're going to receive the Word of God in written form, translated into their language, somebody needs to make a font for that language in that people group. Um, you don't tend to think of font design as uh, sacrificial and loving, but it, but it is, and it can be. Um, you may be a font designer, and that's great. And fonts, you know, especially in our culture, are a necessary part of communication in a technological age. Um, but you also may be a font designer for unreached peoples who don't know Jesus, using your unique design skills to serve the mission of Jesus, and that's awesome. Uh, the question is, who has God made you to be, and how can you use that to serve? How can you give of yourself for the good of another? Now, we're coming to the end uh, today of, uh, uh, of a, our series. We've talked about five different ways that we respond to God's grace. We talked about listening to God's voice and owning our brokenness and living in dependence, uh, relying on God, uh, delighting in the Father's smile, that is rejoicing in God's grace. And this week we're talking about giving ourselves away. And uh, there's something I, I probably haven't emphasized enough that I want to point out here at the end, something that is true about each of those five things, and that is that these are communal characteristics. Uh, these five things are not just virtues that I seek to grow in myself so that I can be a good Christian. Uh, but they are that, right? We do hope that these will grow in us, uh, but they're more than that. Uh, they're about us as a community, right? Not just who I am, but who we are. And I hope that we will be a people who listens to God's voice together, right? Who is reading and studying and meditating on and memorizing Scripture as a community, a people who owns our brokenness, people who are honest and open and humble, who deal with our guilt and shame and powerlessness together, not in isolation. A people who live in dependence, uh, in dependence, uh, receiving the grace of God, knowing that God's power is made perfect in our weakness, that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. A people who delight in our Father's smile, who know that we are loved, who find joy in that love and celebrate that love together. And finally, this one is maybe the most obvious, right? We want to be a people who give ourselves away to one another and to the world, 
right? A whole community of people who use our gifts to give of ourselves for the good of others to the glory of God. And then the question becomes not just how can I give, uh, but how can we give as a community together? What can we offer to love others in Jesus' name? How can we give of ourselves for the good of others for the glory of Jesus? Right? So, so how can you, how can you love God? How can you love the church? How can you love your neighbor? How can you love your enemy? How can you love those for whom you expect nothing in return? How can you love others as Jesus loved you? How can you give of yourself for the good of those around you? Let's pray. Father, we, we hear the, the challenge to us in Jesus' words. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Yet we know that we could never love others if you had not first loved us. Uh, if we did not first know your grace and your mercy and your goodness and your kindness, if we did not first know the forgiveness that we have in Jesus, if we did not first know the spirit whom you have lavishly poured out upon us. So Father, help us to remember your grace, to rest in your spirit, and then to step out in love in a way that brings honor and glory to your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.